Hello and welcome to Slick Talk. I'm your host, Joe. Today's episode is going to be our first foray into the wide world of motorcycles. And what better way to get the ball rolling than to bring on Luke. Luke is a man of many hats here at Blackstone. He started out as a writer. Now he's in the lab getting the data to the writers. So that way we can get the reports to you in a quick, accurate manner. And without further ado, let's start the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joe. So what, what's on the list today? What are you doing? Are you neck deep in aircraft samples? What's on the agenda? Doing titrations today. We're setting up a new auto titrator in the lab I work in. But titration was definitely not something you probably imagined yourself getting involved in day one. So just going back to your starting, starting point at Blackstone. You walked in the door. What did you see yourself doing? What was, what was the job going to be? when you first uh, discovered Blackstone? Writing reports, I guess, or what we refer to as writing reports, which is analyzing data and uh, doing the report summaries. And moving over to the lab, has that really changed your perspective at all as far as when it comes to report writing? Has it changed your outlook on the, the business as a whole? What's, what's the transition been like for you? Yeah, transition to the lab, it gives you a lot deeper understanding of uh, what goes into producing test results and the uh, the nuances to the tests and just uh, you know keeping things running well so now I do um, interactive equipment calibrations and I make the standards for the spectrometer and uh, it, it's quite involved to uh, produce reliable and consistent results and when you are not doing that I know you at least spend a fair amount of time tending to a couple of motorcycles you've got, and that's really why we wanted to bring you onto the show. Um, so just for our listeners, what are the motorcycles you have in your stable right now? Uh, the two I have, I have a 1972 Honda CB750 and a 1978 BMW uh, R100-7. So which one came into your life first? Uh, the Honda. And the Honda... I mean, I've seen it in person. It looks fantastic. But just for the listeners, when you got it, what kind of shape was it in? Does it, did it look anything like it does now? Uh, it was rough. Um, my grandpa owned it. I think he bought it in 74. My dad rode it in high school. And uh, they had a room on the side of their house that they parked the motorcycles in. And it was walled in at some point, I think in 81. And I pulled it out in 2011. So what was the lead up to to getting that thing out? Were you, did you have to talk talk to him and say I'm ready to bring this thing back to life? Like what was the process like? Uh, I knew it was there, and I liked those old Hondas. And um, at the, I was in college; I had didn't have much money, and at the time it wasn't worth much. It was it had been sitting thirty some years. Uh, the engine was seized, and it was covered in a pretty good layer of dirt and oil, uh, which actually pre- I think preserved it to some extent. But, uh, yeah, we pulled it out, and over the course of about six months, I did a basic top-end rebuild and um, tore it all down, painted all the stuff that needed painted, and did basically basic mechanical repairs, kind of bring it up to speed. And what, I mean, a lot of this, too, I mean, you were kind of basically learning as you went, right? uh, In that that case, yes. that That was how I learned to work on stuff, essentially. 
And I mean, there's no, I guess, uh, universal training guide. So was it mostly YouTube videos? Was it, I mean, how uh, did you go about it? Shop manuals. Uh, there's a good forum for those particular bikes, uh, the pretty active community. And there's uh, there's good aftermarket support too. Uh, people people road race them and stuff. So you can get, you can get good quality parts, uh, quite a bit from Honda still too. So how long, you know, from the time you pull this Honda out of hibernation, you know, to getting it up to speed, what's the, what's the time frame? Uh, it was an obsessive thing for about four months, I think from February until July of that year. And then it's been kind of a constant evolution for about the last decade uh, to where it is now. And during that time span, I just imagine, I mean, four months is a while. So was there a point where you were like, I don't think this is going to happen. Was there like a roadblock where you might have not been able to get a hold of a certain part or you didn't know exactly how to take the next step in the process? Like, was it pretty much smooth, steady, we're getting there? Or was there a, you know, any points of doubt, I guess? No, I was too stubborn yeah. to, to not finish it. <laughs> when I yeah. first, we, I did a basic resale on the top end. And there's a, a bushing on the lower cam chain tensioner roller that I found on the bench after we had buttoned the engine up and were ready to put it in the bike. And it took a couple of days of hemming and hauling as to whether or not that part was in there or not. Um, so that was a setback. I'd take the whole top end apart to put that bushing in there, which would saved some expensive uh, repairs that would have happened not too long after. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it was just stubborn persistence and kind of learning as I went. So surely then, I mean, you, you got this one and then you come across a BMW afterwards and you think, well, I mean, I had this one licked so I can, I can do another one. Or, or were you not that confident when you came across the, uh, the BMW? Um, no, I just wanted a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a, a couple of years prior, my dad had bought an 80, he has an 82, um, R80 RT, like a touring bike from, from that era. And uh, I, I've read, I had ridden it some, and uh, yeah, I'm always on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace looking for stuff I shouldn't buy. Indeed. And if, if there's one thing, I think if, if, if you spent some time in the writer's room um, with Luke, you probably came across some Craigslist browsing. Always on lunch, not on the clock. <laughs> oh, never on the clock. Never on the clock. <laughs> Don't get it <laughs> twisted. Um, but yeah, just for the listeners, though, so it's a 78 R100, right? The mm -hmm. BMW? Yeah, slash 7 Series. And that's obviously a entirely different engine from the Honda, so... Yeah, they're very different. Same process as far as going about learning how to attack it? Did you, or did you happen to have other resources at hand that might have helped you along the way, or was it pretty much uh, open-ended discovery as far as getting your handle on it? Uh, the learning curve on the BMWs are pretty steep. Um, they're, they're just built differently. Uh, Over-engineered in a lot of aspects, I feel, maybe unnecessarily so. Uh, for the Honda to rebuild the entire engine, there's two specialty tools. There's a socket you need to take the nut on the clutch assembly off, and uh, there's a puller for the alternator rotor. The BMW to anything, you need a, like a half dozen specialty tools that do one very specific thing that is about impossible to do without. So that, that's been a big part of the learning curve is building or buying specialty tools just to work on the thing. Absolutely. Uh, I think most people are terrified mainly of maintenance when it gets into any, any sort of purchase like that. Yeah, and they're, they're bottomless pits, uh, kind of, to, to an extent. Um, right now, the, the cylinder heads are in California being reworked. 
um, by Ted Porter, who's a shop out there, and they, that's all they do are airhead cylinder head rebuilds. There had to be just a touch of anxiety when you sent those off, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> they were extremely well packaged. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but so we so we take the R100. We have the CB750. All of your experience with getting those up and running. And when did that take place relative to your time at Blackstone? Was it did you have both those ready to roll before you first started, or what? Uh, trying to think. I was in college when I got the Honda. Prior to that, I had a, an 81 Yamaha, like a 550. Uh, just That was the first bike I had bought, first street bike. And that was uh, just a $400 Craigslist special. And I, I knew nothing about bikes when I got that. So I tooled around on that for about six months. Uh, rode it to school quite a bit. Um, didn't really work on it at all. Like I sold it that following spring. And that gave me the money to buy the Honda at that point. And the thing that's kind of interesting, the reason why I want to kind of incorporate it in your time at Blackstone is, you know, in the first episode I talked about, we do an engine teardown as part of our training. So when it came time for you to do the engine teardown, I mean, your first time was, you know, in in our garage anyway, was that pretty much old hat for you by then? Like you, you saw the thing, you thought, all right, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Or were you still kind of, uh, picking up? Oh, uh, that was the first car engine I had been into. I, I still haven't rebuilt one uh, for my own use. I don't I don't have any collector cars or anything. Um, it's just a little bit different. Uh, that thing has a fairly complex timing chain assembly. So getting getting the engine timed on that is was a was a hurdle the first time. Yes. Until until you figure out where all the where all the marks go and everything. Yeah, if I remember right, I think that was easily the most time consuming aspect. Usually is yeah of, of the teardown, <laughs> but. I mean, in every case, when we when we uh, do that rebuild um, during training, um, the goal is always no bonus parts, and I think we've so far been pretty good about that mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in breaking, the training yeah. history. Breaking off torque to yield, um, um, head bolts and things. As far as what you might be working on now, are there any projects in the garage? Uh, we've been restoring a, a 1970 Triumph uh what is that thing? T100 Daytona. Uh, it's my father-in-law's bike. He's owned for uh, 20 or 30 years. And we're uh, like three and a half years into that one. And that those are those are very much their own sort of animal too. The pretty steep learning curve similar to the BMWs. Absolutely. And I mean, you have some pretty widespread experience here. So in the course of, you know, being a report writer, were there commonly asked questions about BMW motorcycles in particular, Honda motorcycles in particular, were there common issues that, you know, people, once they found out you had some, you know, insight into these personally, was there any, you know, questions you came across on a regular basis? Uh, not in a few instances, not on a regular basis, because there, there aren't a ton of these bikes around. Um, but I have seen samples out of at least similar bikes. Uh, there was a guy with a, an old airhead, BMW airhead that had just bought and uh, the transmission had a bunch of water in it. it looked pretty awful. So I, uh, you know, at least passed along my, my personal knowledge with those and uh, gave them a shop that I knew of close to them that uh, had a good reputation for doing, doing work on those bikes. Well, so you mentioned, you mentioned airheads. So for the uninitiated, uh, what are we talking about Oh, there? That, that's what BMW refers to their uh, air-cooled opposed two-cylinder bikes, Got which it. they've made almost continuously, I think, for close to 100 years now. Um, I'd say they've been making the, the same bike for like 80 years, which, which isn't quite correct, but it's, uh, it is in some sense. 
And there is, you know, there is just a, um, you know, a customer who asked us um, on our Facebook page, actually. Uh, this comes from Greg, by the way. Uh, he asked, or uh, stated rather, lots of people seem to be misled on synthetics and clutch slippage. So this is something I've at least heard before, um, you know, being voiced by customers. Uh, worry about using a synthetic oil and it causing clutch slippage. Do you have any insight on that or experience with that? Uh, I don't think there's anything inherent to the oil being a synthetic product that will cause problems with clutch slippage. And this would be for motorcycles that share oil, engine clutch transmission, wet, wet sump or wet clutch engines. Uh, there are certain additives that are used in some synthetic car oils that are incompatible with the friction discs in the clutch. So that is something to be mindful of, but it's not, it's not a problem with the oil being synthetic that causes the slippage. Uh, there's a specification, uh, the J-A-S-O-M-A and M-A-2, and the, some oils will meet, have that specification on the bottle, and that signifies that it's compatible with the wet clutch engine. Uh, so for my own stuff, that's, that's at least the bikes with, that are wet clutch. That's really the only criteria that I'm looking for, aside from viscosity when choosing an oil. Um, being synthetic or conventional is largely unrelated to clutch performance. And we had a follow-up question to our coolant episode. This one comes from Thomas. And Luke, we'll get your insight on this one. Thomas asked, how much mileage do I need on a sample? And he, he, he referenced it in the context of an engine that he's worried about having a problem, um, whether it be a, a wear-related problem or a contamination-related problem. He wants to know, you know how much mileage we want on a sample to get a look at things. Uh, for a typical street-driven vehicle, probably about 1,000 miles in most cases. If you're fairly confident a problem exists, maybe 500 would be kind of a bare minimum. Um, if you sample after fewer miles than that or a very short interval, uh, it's possible the oil just hasn't been in there long enough for much of anything to show up. So it creates a kind of circular problem of, you know, is, is everything okay or does it look like this as a result of the short interval? And there, there's no way to really answer that question. Um, so it, it leaves some open ambiguity to the result. So yeah, you have to, those low mileage samples, you really have to take them with a grain of salt. If they, yeah, yeah like big problems, um, you know, they can show up in such a low mileage sample. Again, it's mainly carryover. But yeah, I mean, if there's a really severe issue, then it probably will show up. But if it's just something like, you know, say the engine isn't wearing terribly well, mm -hmm. it's hard to really lend much perspective when you have such a low mileage sample. So shooting for at least a thousand if you can it's definitely ideal oh uh, yeah uh, i guess in the case of coolant leaks if it's something that's been ongoing for a while you know a series of oil changes um, you could expect some amount of coolant to carry over or at least the markers from coolant into the next fill so that you might see some evidence of it in a low mile sample uh, but it would still be hard to gauge the severity of the problem and that wraps up our first episode on motorcycles. A big thank you to Luke for joining us on the show. Keep in mind, this is only the first episode. We're going to be narrowing it down to more specific topics in the future. And if there are any that you would like to send our way, feel free to drop them on our Facebook page. You can also send them to us directly via email 
address is bstone at blackstone-labs.com. Once again, that is bstone at blackstone-labs.com. Thanks for listening. Do you want to throw in a cowabunga here? <laughs> What's with the cowabunga? <laughs>